Our passage this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 46 to 52 today. This is the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And as I read the passage to you this morning, there are a lot of great verbs in this passage. I encourage you to just pay attention to the verbs that come out. Read it for us. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you want Jesus to do for you? I want to give you literally a moment here to answer that question in your mind. Take 10 seconds here and answer that question. If Jesus were to stand before you and say, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Let's be honest, if you had the power of the creator of the universe before you saying, what do you want me to do for you, and you weren't in church in that moment, it might be easy to get distracted. (laughs) It might be easy to ask for something a little bit more momentary. It, It may be something simple about our family or about a relationship. It may be something about our job. It may be something about finances. It may be something about a child or a parent. Oftentimes, I think with the word that Bartimaeus used, recover, restore, that this idea of we want something back. We want something the way it was, that there's something inherent about what's going on here. But Are we attuned or aware to this idea that the deepest thing we need recovered, the deepest thing that we need Jesus to do for us, if we were asked by him, is that what we really need is to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? Today's passage is simple. It brings up a simple yet amazing miracle with significant implications. 
And there's something to point out here about the miracles of Jesus. There's a lot of good question to ask sometimes about why didn't he heal everybody and what was going on. And there's several answers to that question. One that I'll offer to you is this, that Jesus was using his miracles in a very intentional and specific way to teach us something about his work. And that every physical work that Jesus did had some kind of spiritual significance and application to it. For example, Jesus heals the physically blind because he also came to heal the spiritually blind. Jesus came to raise the dead physically because he also came to raise the dead spiritually. And and so we can read about this miracle on two levels, that the physical happenings that are going on here, we can transfer them into spiritual happenings. So before we dive in, let's define blindness. What does it mean to be blind? Well, blindness in its simplest definition is an impaired ability to see the truth. An impaired ability to see the truth. So for physically being physically blind, you can't see the truth around you. You can't see what is. You can't see the trees or people or things. You can't see what is there? And it applies then to the spiritually blind. What does it mean to be spiritually blind? It means we can't see the truth, the spiritual truth, the reality of how things are, the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of what Jesus has done. And today, interestingly enough, it's the blind man that gives us the path to understanding and finding spiritual sight. And the path is spiritual insight, spiritual faith, and spiritual discipleship. Spiritual insight, spiritual faith, and then spiritual discipleship. So let's start with spiritual insight. Verse 47, And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's something really important about that sentence there. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. What is the spiritual insight that Bartimaeus has? Well, I think we can pull out two things from that cry that he made. And the first thing that we see is that Bartimaeus asks for mercy. God, Jesus, have mercy on me, a cry of mercy. The, the parallel of physical and spiritual applies here, right? That he's wanting mercy. Jesus came to heal the physically poor, to provide for them. And Jesus came to heal the spiritually poor, to provide for them. Think, think about that just for a second here. Bartimaeus, he's described as a poor man. He's a blind beggar. He's an outcast. He's on the side of the road. He basically has nothing. The way he makes his existence is to get money from people who feel sorry for him. And Jesus is the one who stops along the way to help him. But his cry is also a cry of his spiritual brokenness his spiritual emptiness, his spiritual nothingness. He's crying out to Jesus for mercy. So what is the opposite of spiritual poorness, if I can say that? It would be spiritual 
richness. To be spiritually rich, and I'm using that in quotes, is when we look to our own accomplishments, to what we have, when we're in our ideas and concepts spiritually rich, we bear the weight of our own spiritual growth. I will do this, I will fix this, I will solve this. In comparison, when we acknowledge our spiritual poverty before God, thereby contributing all that we do and are to his limitless grace, the weight of our spirituality is lifted off and placed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus where it belongs. And what Jesus is saying, the insight that Bartimaeus has, is that to be spiritually poor is to be incredibly blessed. Let that land on you for a second. To be spiritually poor is to be blessed. And so what is spiritual poverty? <laughs> it's the insight that we are needy. We are needy. So we come to this place, we realize that the insight that Bartimaeus had is this, he's needy. And that's where you and I have a problem. We're trained to be equipped, developed, and not in need. This, this is where our physical life confronts our spiritual life. Physically, we're trained to grow up, to learn to walk, to talk, to cook, to drive, to manage our money. We should become independent. But spiritually, to grow means to become more aware of our need and our need to be dependent. It's a battle we'll face for all of our spiritual lives. We will think, I can do it, and then we'll be reminded in the grace of Jesus and the Spirit that we're in need. And we fight this tension. If we don't cry out in need of a Savior, then we won't realize our need of being saved. If we don't cry out in need of seeing Jesus, then we'll never consider how blind we really are. And the principle we learn here at the beginning of this passage from Bartimaeus is this. We will never know Jesus as a reality until we know him as a necessity. We'll never know Jesus as a reality until we know him as a necessity. So, do you need Jesus? I mean, how do we express our need like that? Well, Bartimaeus, he makes the cry to the one who can meet the need. This, is, this should make us a little bit uncomfortable, the way Bartimaeus is acting with Jesus here. That he's on the street with a bunch of people around, and he starts crying out at the top of his lungs, Son of David, have mercy on me! If you... If you saw anyone crying out anywhere, what is your immediate reaction to that, right? Like, Ugh. right? I mean, we, we, had, you know, we have a little kid who's crying in the back of the room, and we're like, get the kid, get him out, you know. <laughs> I like crying kids, just so, so we can have just a moment here and here. It's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I... I like crying adults, too. I wish we had more crying adults. Because why don't we cry? Because we don't want to show our need. 
We don't want to show how really inside we're just in turmoil and we're fighting as hard as we can to look like we have it all together on the outside. It's worth noting that it was the crowd that shushed him. It was the crowd that said, hey, Bartimaeus, why don't you just be quiet? The crowd had an uncomfortable, uncomfortable ability, or was uncomfortable, I should say, with need. There's a principle here for us. How do I know? I would offer this to you to really consider this. How do you know if you're aware of your need, like Bartimaeus was, the more aware we are of our own need is directly relatable to the more comfortable we are when others are in need. So the same is the opposite is true. The more confident we are and think that we are not in need, the more uncomfortable we are with people who are in need. So it's a simple point. We don't receive sight unless we acknowledge our need. And how do we know we are in need? Well, how comfortable you are with other needy people is the revealer to how much you and I realize we are in need. It's interesting, whenever you come to a passage like this and you talk about this idea of need and even this concept of spiritual blindness, what often comes in these sermons, and for myself included, I'll put myself right with you guys, is we want other people to hear this sermon. We wish other people would see. Which is direct evidence of our inability to recognize our own neediness. If you're hoping someone else will hear, it's because you're confident that your need has been taken care of. Well, the crowd couldn't stop him, and he cries out again. And I think it's such a beautiful picture that Jesus stopped, that he stops at the cry of this man, of this poor, needy, desperate man, and he engages. And here's where we see the faith of Bartimaeus. Mark chapter 10, verses 50. Listen to the verbs here. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. I want that word to be, he ran to Jesus. That's what's in my mind. That, he, that when he heard Jesus say, call him, and they said, Jesus said, you can go. That, I mean, it is the image there, right? He throws it off, he springs up, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. and I, he, he probably didn't run because he couldn't see where he was going, you know? So <laughs> he needed other people to be like, here, he's over here, he's over here, right? But that's in my own mind. So then Jesus asks the profound question that we're reflecting on today. What do you want me to do for you? If you were here last week, you remember that we talked about how the disciples approached Jesus and Jesus asked them the very same question, James and John. 
Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? But they didn't come with need. Not spiritual need. They came with a desire for power, a desire for prominence. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, make us great, Jesus. Bartimaeus asked for things to be restored. The disciples asked to be superhuman. Bartimaeus asked to be simply human. For those who are well, who are confident, who are not in need, normal sees the bare minimum. Normal sees, Jesus, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I want, I want much greater things. But for the ill, the troubled, the needy, normalcy is God's greatest gift. It, it should give us this picture back to the garden. This, that what's going on for Bartimaeus is there's something in here that he's just crying out to Jesus and saying, can things just be the way they're supposed to be? The way you designed them to be. Bartimaeus was exercising such a powerful display of faith that he was crying out to Jesus. He, he calls him the son of David. It's the only time in the book of Mark that this phrase is used. It's actually an incredible phrase that he's crying out. He's saying, you're the one who is to come, the one who's going to establish a new kingdom. I think it's impossible for us not to see here that what he was thinking about was the garden, the way things were supposed to be, and then looking forward to something more great and beautiful that the, this king would bring. And he calls him the son of David, and he's expressing this beautiful picture of faith in Jesus and who he is, and then to do what? To, to solve his need and to make him human. Bartimaeus was exercising this simple but powerful faith. Larry Wall on our staff he, if you know him, is known for his quirky jokes that he likes to tell. And he's got these many one-liners that he uses. And he used one this, and we love them all. We love every one, Larry. We love every one. <laughs> There's one that's apropos for this moment. In fact, he told it this week in our staff meeting. On this idea of faith. I've probably heard Larry tell this story ten times, and every time it's convicting. It goes like this. There was once a small town that had experienced a drought in the west corner of Texas for quite some time, and they really didn't know what to do. So they decided they were all going to gather together for a prayer meeting and ask God to solve the problem of the drought that was in their community. And so the day came when the whole town gathered and everyone was there, but only one boy came with an umbrella. And that's about how funny Larry's jokes are. They're about like that. You know, you're like, that was pretty good. It's like, okay, that's pretty good. But let's take the point for what it is. Bartimaeus, he came to the feet of Jesus, and he called him son of David because he had the faith to believe that he could heal him. And there has to be something within us that asks do we have a faith like that? Are we going to show up to a prayer for rain with an umbrella because we believe that the Son of God, the Son of David, the creator of the universe who said, what do you want me to do for you, is literally asking us that question.
Spiritual faith is the acknowledgement of our blindness and the trust and belief in Jesus that he can make us see. So what happens? Spiritual discipleship. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The powerful picture here that's set up for us is that he basically then goes and follows Jesus. Now, if we were doing this every day and studying through the book of Mark, we would see that there's something that's happening here in the gospel of Mark, that in Mark chapter 8, there was actually another passage about blindness that Mark had instituted. He talked about a man that was blind, and Jesus heals him. He, remember, he puts the mud on his eyes and said, do you see? And he's like, well, I see people. They look like trees. And then Jesus heals him again. And he's setting up this idea of how Jesus is coming to heal spiritual blindness. And then in chapters 8, 9, and 10, we have all these pictures of people who are really struggling to see. And we've talked all through 10 about how the Pharisees weren't able to see, how the disciples weren't able to see. We got into last week and we were talking about how they're totally confused about what Jesus came to do, even though he said he's come to suffer and die. And now we come to this point, and what is Mark setting up for us? He's setting up this idea. He ends this whole section by saying, this is who followed him. The one who had the simple faith to recognize his need and trust Jesus alone. That word, that word there, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. That word well, it's really interesting. It's a powerful word that means saved. Your faith has saved you. It combines both physical and spiritual dimensions. So what's the outcome? Bartimus follows. Bartimus follows. Maybe you've heard the story of John Newton before. He uh, lived in the 1700s. He's the one who penned the hymn Amazing Grace. He, and I'll tell you a little bit about his story just quickly. He's a sailor involved in the Atlantic slave trade and worked on slave tri- ships that transported Africans to the Americas. And in his retelling of what happened, to sum it up very shortly, he would recount the unimaginable suffering and cruelty that he was a part of. Well, in March of 1748, while on a voyage from Africa to England, Newton's ship encountered a severe storm. And this event actually is referred to as the Great Storm of 1748. And the boat that John Newton was on had a life threatening experience. The ship was severely damaged and he was in this place of fearing for his life. And during the storm, he cried out, God have mercy on me. And in that moment, John Newton would say, he could see. Well, the ship survived and he started to follow Jesus. His transformation was so powerful that he actually went from playing a role in facilitating slave trade to being a primary factor in the abolition of slave trade. He then went on in 1972, so 25-ish years later, to pen the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. John Newton, beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to go from blindness, expressing our need, spiritual faith, and then spiritual discipleship, where he spent the rest of his life serving the king that showed him mercy. Now, there's something I want to point out about discipleship here, something that's significant for us when it comes to spiritual blindness and just this idea of spiritual blindness, and Newton helps us to see it. I think it's significant to me, it is, that he wrote that hymn 25 years later, that there's something that we have to remember about when we see and how we see, and that is this. It goes back to what Jesus was doing in that first healing of the blind man in Mark chapter 8. What he's saying is we might see, and there is definitely in our relationship with Jesus a moment where we see clearly and understand the cross and what that means. There is an initial seeing, and in that initial seeing, we don't see fully. We're on a journey, if you will, of transformation and seeing. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays a beautiful prayer for the church in Ephesus, and he prays that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. That he's basically saying, I'm praying that you'll see more clearly, that you'll have a better understanding. And why does Paul pray that? Well, he prays that because Christians have bad eyesight, We just have bad eyesight when it comes to seeing who Jesus is and what he's done. Our problem is we know just enough to be dangerous because so much of what we know is just theoretical. And and what Paul's praying for there and what John Newton shows us and what we see here in the life of Bartimaeus is what? Is that we need to experience the reality of Jesus' heart. We need to see it. We need to see it so deeply that it permanently changes us. I'm not here this morning to rebuke you for whatever thing you said at the very beginning when I asked you, what do you want Jesus to do for you? I mean, yes, the answer to that question is we need to see Jesus, but the reality is when we see Jesus, those things become more clear to us. Oftentimes we're saying, Jesus, I'm anxious, change this in me. And what he's saying is, I want to show you who I am so it will have an impact on your anxiety. When people become Christians, I mean, think back with me to this. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've had that moment of seeing the first time, Remember how the Bible just started to light up for you. I've been in situations where people would come up to me and say, I've been in church all my life, but I've never understood the beauty of what the gospel is until I heard, the, I heard it here at the summit. And you're like, well, okay, but that wasn't me. That was Jesus opening your eyes to something, that, that the reality of his forgiveness, his love, his mercy... What happens when we start to see them is they become real, thrilling, compelling, comforting, life-changing. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Well, if you're anxious about something, you need to see Jesus. If you're concerned about your finances, 
You need to see Jesus and the riches that he's provided for you. If you're struggling with sin and want freedom from addiction, what do you need? You need the mercy of Jesus. If you're angry and bitter and cynical and annoyed, what do you need? You need to see the beauty of Jesus. I was preparing for this message and was thinking just about what I wish that there was a part of my own experience that I would be able to know what it was like to not see for a while and then see. I mean, can you just imagine that for a second? Like somebody who hadn't seen for their whole lives, that they never knew what the color of orange was like, that they never knew what the greenness of grass looked like. And then all of a sudden, one day, you see. And there's videos on the interwebs about people who are having experiences like this where they can see for the first time. And I thought about showing one. They're too moving. Uh, We would have all been crying in here. That's what happens when you watch those videos. They're so powerful. And what Jesus is, what's happening here, what what the hope is, the call, what Mark is longing for us who are reading this is he's saying, I want you to see. Many of you have had that spiritual moment where you could see, and we need Jesus to help us see how deep his mercy is, how deep his love is, how deep his goodness is. We actually have a term for this. I heard it, read it in a book 10 years ago, and I really love this term. It's called gospel wakefulness. It's when we have these moments when we're in God's word or we're singing a worship song or we're hearing a sermon or maybe we're engaging a community group, and all of a sudden just something makes sense to us. We're like, oh, all these years. Sometimes those moments can be so strong for us we feel like we just got saved like that we weren't saved before. We may even use that language. But, but what I'm trying to unpack here and help us see is that in that beginning, that first moment for Bartimaeus, there was a spiritual sight that happened, and then there was this journey that his following, what happened all after that was in that following, he was able to see more clearly and more clearly and more clearly. And that's what Jesus wants for us. So, how do we do that? Well, with need, with faith, and with discipleship. If I could give just two simple application points in this, perhaps the best place for us to start really is in prayer. Bartimaeus's cry of, Father, have mercy, Son of God, David, Son of David, have mercy on me. What a great cry. We're reading a book as a staff on prayer, and there was a quote in there that really struck me this week, and I hope it's helpful for you this morning. He said this, Pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray as you can, not as you can't. I think one of the biggest factors in our limiting, that limits us in our prayer lives is We're like, well, the pastor said pray, so tomorrow morning I'm supposed to spend an hour and a half on my face praying to Jesus. And that would be great. That would be good. 
But pray as you can, not as you can't. If you've never prayed for an hour and a half in your life, how about just taking 10 seconds every morning this week when you wake up and saying, Son of David, have mercy on me today. Help me see. Another simple, maybe practical application is, I find that maybe one of the easiest places but yet hardest places to express our need can be in worship. That when we're singing songs that invite us to cry out like we were this morning, you're all I need. That there can be this like hesitation in that to really allow our hearts to express that. And so maybe here at the summit you would consider as we sing putting your hands out as an expression of need. Doesn't have to be up or out. I mean just a simple expression of need. Remembering that the songs that we sing aren't necessarily about what other people are hearing, but there's an opportunity there for us to just come before God in need and cry out to him in a song. My friends, my hope this morning is that there will just be a little bit of a stirring in all of us to see. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've never seen Jesus before. Maybe there's something about knowing that there's a God who would say, all you need to bring to the table is need that would make you go, oh, I got that. I want to see. Have mercy on me. And maybe you've been on the journey a long, long time and things are stale and things are dry and things are hard and maybe even God has been silent recently for you. That you too would know that Jesus' mercy and his grace and his love and his kindness is so deep and so wide that he could meet you right now, right here in this moment, if you would pray as you can and not as you can't and just say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Our friends, our hope this morning is that Jesus went into utter darkness on the cross so that we could be brought into the light and see. He takes wretches like us who were lost, and he finds us. He asks the blind, what do you want? And he heals us so we can say, it's why we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but I'm found, and I can see. Let's pray. Almighty God, open our eyes this morning, we pray. We don't even know sometimes how to pray it, but we, we want to see. We want to see you. So, Son of David, have mercy on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.